you're listening to the second hour of Shift Happens, formerly the Empower Hour. Now it's just all the same stuff. Anyway, I wanted to play this track because it's going to be in alignment with what we're going to discuss. So hold on. You're going to listen to some Alanis Morissette. And that was Alanis Morissette singing Not the Doctor. I always appreciated the lyrics of that particular track because she's talking about codependency Mm -hmm. in a very big way. And how many women in particular get stuck in a role where they have to be in partnership with a child, right? (laughs) And It does seem to be a fairly common problem. Yeah. And... Not I think, to point the I, finger I think at I might men. Have, yeah, I, I'm just realizing, why did I play that? Because <laughs> now we're going to be talking about me? No. Well, I, well, I, I guess I'm childlike, not childish. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I think I was way too old too soon. But anyway, so we're going to be discussing some stuff that Anna has been processing. Well, Any, anyone that listens to our show, they're... You know, you're aware that we're always dealing with stuff. We're always on the cutting edge, at least inside of ourselves, trying to deal with our caca and create those shifts inside of us. And so Anna's in that place. And so we're going to share her I have been writing about this. I've been writing about abuse issues and I've even publicly spoken about abuse issues. But I realized I haven't really shared a lot of my story with the, our listeners. I, I'm not particularly comfortable sharing my own personal stuff. I know um, that I, I probably should, but I have not been up until this point. And I've been processing why that is the case. And before I want to get into this, I I do want to put out a little trigger alert here because I'm going to be talking about my own childhood and some of that was sexual abuse. So if this is something that you are currently really processing and raw on... Turn the channel, go to Light FM. Well, you may want to use the opportunity to process your own stuff along with me, or you may want to take a break and mm-hmm. uh, don't feel obligated to to stick it out if you're not up to it. Um, because that's one of the things that I've been learning along the way is to be kind to yourself. So I did want to share though, I, um, I've just written an article and I've been writing for a little bit um, for a magazine called Wheel of Life magazine, um, which... If you go to shifthappens.media, our website where we podcast, you'll see a link in the top right corner to that magazine in case you're curious. But it's a sort of cross between a spiritual and a lifestyle magazine. And I write about sexual abuse issues. Um, And I realized this last article that I wrote, uh, I would like to share with the listening audience as well. So I'm I'm not going to read it to you, but I will start by telling you a little bit of my story. Um, Not graphically, don't worry, but still. I was sexually abused um, pretty intensely up until the age of seven by um, numerous people from my extended family as well as my immediate family. And then 
uh, carried on well into adulthood um, being uh, inappropriately touched by my father. He he used to grab my breasts or my butt and make sexual comments to me. And it wasn't until I was in relationship with Jeff at almost the age of 40 that um, I had someone in my life who really pointed out to me that this was an unhealthy relationship. Um, I'm pretty sure Chris, who is my first husband and and is a um, a good friend still was aware of it but also he had a a past which made it uh difficult for him to stand up for himself too so i'm not pointing the finger at him certainly for not pointing it out but i i just i was in relationship with jeff and early on my parents came to visit and my whole family was there because it was my birthday my brother had come to visit as well and um, my father grabbed my breast and made a comment. And nobody, myself included, reacted to that because it was but so... But I did. It was so normal. Yeah. And Jeff, after, as he was on his... Um, my father was on his way out the door as he did this. So it, nobody really had the opportunity to react either. But it was normal. And, and I wouldn't have, honestly... I'd given up a long time before that ever trying to set boundaries with my father. So when Jeff said to me afterwards with a lot of energy, what the was that? I was like, what? H-E double hockey sticks <laughs> and, and a few uh, other words. I honestly did not really recognize it anymore as being abnormal behavior. And so I had to really process that and it triggered a process of remembering um, because at that point I had completely blocked out my childhood. I did not remember being abused. And um, I had actually made up a fictional childhood, um, which served me well through most of my life up until that point. And, and you know, this is something that um, Sana Shanti, our, our Tai Chi instructor, always reminds us, that our defense mechanisms were very useful. They helped us to survive to a point. But then we reach a point in our lives where they become more of a problem than a, a help. And at that point, we need to start a, adjusting them, allowing them to to fall away, but not thinking that we were doing something wrong by having them in the first place. Because as a young child, I couldn't process what had happened to me. So I had to forget. That was really my only option. It was that or go crazy. So so I did, I forgot. And then suddenly I have these memories starting to pop up at the age of 40. And I am... Um, actually, I think it was probably 38. Yeah, it was earlier than that. Right. Anyway. Um, it's just a number though. I, I took a year. I set aside a year. I quit a school. I was going to art school at the time. I quit school and I hold up and I asked Jeff for help to look after the kids. And I, I took a year of journaling and meditating and crying lots and all kinds of fun things, reading a lot about incest and sexual abuse. 
um, to process and to try to um, regain my memories because just because you decide suddenly that you're capable of remembering doesn't mean that your psyche suddenly lets go of the, you know, the yeah. gate. And what I discovered in that process is the memories that come up, they kind of emerge as you're capable of dealing with them. I did consider going to a um, hypnotherapist and just kind of having it all dragged out of me. But I, I felt like they were coming out and I was processing them kind of one at a time. You did it at the pace that you could handle. Yeah, I think right? so. I think so. Yeah. And all the way through, I think it's so important to just remember to be kind to yourself in the process. But I spent a year journaling and, and getting at the memories and, and I did retrieve most of them in that year. And I processed a lot of them. And then I went through the process of forgiving. And one of the things, I don't really think that there is a way to release yourself from the pattern if you can't forgive. And something to be clear about is that forgiveness isn't for the person who you are forgiving. It is for yourself. It is the way that you allow yourself to move on. So I, I had to, I mean, I went through various things, various means of forgiveness. And a lot of that was looking at the lives of the people who abused me and what they must have gone through in their early lives and the patterns that were set up. In some cases, the people who abused me were, um, were young. They were cousins and they themselves had been abused. And I didn't even really blame them at the time because I'd also been abused by their father and I knew. So it was like, I just, I was just a part of the whole package that they were just trying to reclaim some of their power in that process. But my father blamed me for that experience. He said I was, um, I was evil just by being a woman and I was a temptress and I was seven at the time, but he accused me of having invited this and damaging the boys in the process of it because I involved them in my nastiness. And so it was that kind of stuff that was really hard to, to process, mm -hmm. even as an adult, hard to know whether I had moved beyond it and, and released the shame of it and also released my father because he wouldn't talk about it. He wouldn't acknowledge that any of it ever happened. Neither would my mother. And for most of the time, neither would my, my siblings. But yet you were left to feel the guilt of having to move from Nova Scotia. It was your shame. It was yeah. the incident around all of that that made the family move. migrate from one coast to the other. Well, at and least I thought so at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know for sure that it was because of me, but as a young child, yeah. shortly after I was uh, gang raped by my cousins, I was uh, packed in a car with um, whatever possessions we could carry. And we launched off across the country and relocated mm -hmm. as far away as we could possibly get mm -hmm. and still be in the same country. And, um, and I... I think a lot of that had to do with what happened to me, but I'm not really sure 
that all of it did. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sure it was a cumulative thing. But anyway, um, what I wanted to talk about and the things that have have been the, the most difficult for me in the process of healing is that when you cannot get the rest of your family to acknowledge or confirm memories that you know are shaky you you've you've blocked them out and this is a common defense mechanism when you've been abused at an early age is to block out your memories and so it's hard enough to believe that it's true when you have believed that it isn't true for your whole life without having your family also denying it and the compounding factor is that most uh, families who have systemic abuse in them keep secrets. It's a part of the way that they protect themselves from the larger community and from anybody knowing is you keep secrets and you're taught. Otherwise, the whole family is shamed, right? And yeah. that's the big you're, fear. You're taught at an early yeah. age to put on a public face that there is things that only the family is allowed to know. Yeah. And that is a big sign of an abusive family. Um, whether it's psychological, emotional, whatever kind of abuse it is, they pretty much all keep secrets. Mm-hmm. So when you're trying to come out and acknowledge publicly that this happened and you're trying to process it, <coughs> pardon me, and understand it, and everybody's telling you that it didn't happen and you're crazy, it's really, really difficult to then come to terms with it. And um, when I was trying to come to terms with my father and know that I had forgiven him, even though I couldn't speak to him about it, um, I really struggled with how do I know that I've forgiven? I, you know, I, I know that I feel differently toward him, um, but it's, it's difficult to feel really loving towards someone who has been abusive your whole life. And so, and continues to be so well into their old age, into their 80s and 90s, right? Yeah. You'd think that that would change. But it hasn't. After that period of time. But the only thing that's changed is he's gotten old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And physically incapable, which is nice. Yeah. But anyway. Um, I was at a stage about 10 years ago where I was really trying to come to terms with whether or not I had forgiven. And we, Jeff and I, went camping. Um, We had an old motorhome that we were actually living in at the time. We were traveling and... um, Going on walkabout, trying to figure out how mm -hmm. do we exist. In this world. And not buy into the matrix like we had yeah, before. Like typical Kootenai Heights. Yeah. So we were we were camping and um we were camping off season so there weren't any there wasn't anybody else in the campground when we first got there I don't think. Maybe one other camper a long yeah. ways away. Yeah. And at some point in the week that we were there a couple of men pulled up in uh, a camper beside us. They parked right beside us when the campground was empty. Yeah. And I was in the process of having a bit of a meltdown and I was journaling and trying to process another layer because if for anybody who hasn't ever processed abuse, 
it's never um, a one-time thing. You you process pretty much every event on multiple layers. And <clears throat> seven seems to be about the point at which it stops for the most part. But fortunately, each time it gets easier. But at this point, I was still like really quite in the middle of it. And I was trying to deal with my father and whether or not I was capable of forgiving him. And these two men pulled up beside me. And if you've been abused, you've probably developed antenna for this sort of thing. And I I picked up on the fact that at least one of them, I didn't feel safe around. I just, I just didn't want to be around them. And I will acknowledge that there are times when I've had that reaction just because it's, I'm feeling sensitive and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. you know, having had a history, I'm kind of picky about who I'm around. <laughs> and so I played interference. So Jeff was really good. He um, went and socialized with these guys and yeah. kind of kept them at a distance. But they inter- they invited us for um, for dinner. Mm-hmm. And, By um, the fire. And I came over and asked you to go. To go. And I was and really reluctant, but yeah. he was encouraging and said, he, you know, he, he would be there and he felt like it was important that I talk to them. And I trust him and his intuition. So I did. So I went over and um, had dinner with the, these two gentlemen by the fire. They were, they made an amazing meal, actually. They mm-hmm. were hunting and fishing. And so they had this uh, venison and, and fresh caught fish. And, mm-hmm. and they, they made a big effort. And, and we sat around and ate. And we had some drinks together. And um, it kind of ended up, as it often does when there's four people and you're having intense conversations, where we kind of split up into two and two. And, and Jeff was speaking with the younger of the two, and I ended up speaking with the older of the two which happened to be the one that was the most uh, giving me the, the kind of the willies. And um, so I was, eh, I, I wasn't drinking very much. I was sort of keeping my, my wits about me. Yeah. But he drank a lot. And as the evening progressed, um, he asked me why I had been um, hiding in the motorhome, why I hadn't been more um, sociable up until that point. And I told him it was because I was in the process of um, journaling and, and trying to heal from sexual abuse, that I had been abused as a child um, by people in my family, and that um, I was very sensitive to being around men when I was in the process of of trying to heal things. And um, he broke down and told me that his family, there were women in his family that were um, saying that they had been abused. And they were also being told that it wasn't true. And he felt really guilty because he knew that it was true. He knew that his grandfather and his father had abused women in his family. And he also had abused women in his family. And... He was crying at this point and um, sharing that he he was tortured by this because nobody was was backing them up and they were being made to feel wrong for for bringing this up and made to feel crazy. 
And um, he felt a responsibility to say something, but he was afraid because he was one of the people who had uh, abused. And he asked me for my advice. And I thought, you know, isn't it funny how the universe presents these opportunities? Because I had been asking myself, if my father was willing to speak the truth, what would I say to him? And here was this man sitting across from me who was very similar to my father in a lot of ways. But he yeah. had had been able to speak to me as a stranger and tell me the truth. So I shared what I would have liked to happen in my family. And um, I think we should play a song. And then I will share that. Okay. So I was thinking maybe thank you by Alanis. We're going to play a couple, three tunes of hers. For whatever reason, I think that she has the intuitive ability or had the, well, has, still has, she's alive. Um, She can nail all of this stuff, the subtle nuances right on the head. And in this song, she's saying thank you for the problems because she was able to grow from that. And you have seriously grown from your life experience and your processing and shift definitely has happened in your life. So I think this is an appropriate track to play. So I'll play it and we'll be back. Thank you by Alanis Morissette. So you're listening to Shift Happens with Jeff and Anna. Mm-hmm. And we're in the and middle. that was Alanis Morissette. And that was Alanis Morissette. And would you agree the lyrics of that mm-hmm. really matched or yes. still match what you're going through? Yeah. Uh, that is something that I have come to regardless of all the things that happened to me as a child and throughout my uh, adult years. Um, that I am grateful for my life as it is. And I I learned a lot. I developed so much strength, so much confidence in my ability to survive whatever comes my way. And um, I pretty much feel like I can tackle just about anything at this stage. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of that is because of what I went through. And so I don't regret it. Although it wasn't fun at the time, I don't know who I would be without it. Well, and for me, uh, observing you, and I, I, I guess we have shared the same, we've both through been through a lot of stuff in mm-hmm. our lives. Yeah. And we're able to appreciate the growth, the willingness to step up if I can say that. In, in one another, yeah. In one another. And it's a really big thing to be able, in my opinion, to have these incredibly intense experiences and not give in to hate and not give in to disempowerment mm-hmm. as a lifestyle. Um, although that's layers too. It is. <laughs> right? uh, we both had our methods of self-sabotage. But at least when we've become clear on those methods 
And when we're clear that the decisions that we're making on a daily basis are having a direct negative impact on those in our circle of influence, then if you really love those people, those souls and critters, then you got to deal with your shift. Mm -hmm. And I said shift there. Yeah. And so to finish my story, Mm -hmm. um, this gentleman asked me what he should do. He was going to head home after the weekend and he was feeling the pressure to actually speak his truth. Mm-hmm. but he didn't know how to go about it. He didn't want to make the situation worse. He didn't want to end up triggering a whole shift storm yeah. in his family. Um, although I don't know if that's it's possible to avoid that. So what I told him is the most important thing that you can offer to the women in your family who have been abused, and I'm not saying that it, it's ever only women that, you know, this whole thing of of the feminine versus the masculine and all of that. I, there's plenty of young boys that have been abused, plenty of men that get abused. It's, it's not exclusive to the feminine. But mm-hmm. in this situation, the women in his family were the ones being abused. And they simply needed him to, to tell them they weren't crazy privately or publicly. So what I suggested to him is he go back and he take those women aside and he tell them that it was true and ask them what they wanted him to do to help them, that they were the ones in control of how to proceed from there, but that he would be their their backup, their person to to acknowledge the truth of it. And I mean, he wasn't, it, it, it isn't even necessary. I never required a re, an a, apology from any of the people in my life who, who abused me. It was somewhat irrelevant at that point. But if they asked for an apology or if he felt moved to give one, certainly that could help. Um, I have this weird sort of approach towards apologies in general. I think that if you did it by accident, then there's really nothing to apologize for. And if you did it on purpose, then saying you're sorry after the fact is kind of pointless. Yeah, if you're forced to say <laughs> that you're sorry, yeah, then, then obviously cares? you don't. Yeah. But um, he was pretty drunk at this point. And uh, as... At, on the break, when we were playing the song, um, one of the people in the office said, you know, the problem is that he was drunk. Yes, sometimes that's the only time people can break down their barriers enough to deal with it. There are other things. I mean, there are now things, uh, you know, it's becoming a potential now, again, to use psychedelics, to use low dosing of LSD or various other means to access this information and process it. But the reality is for a lot of people, alcohol is what gets them there. And uh, and it's the acceptable drug, right? It is. So in this particular case, 
he had carried on drinking through the night. And so I, I knew that there was some potential that he would block this out or not have the courage to deal with it the next day. But I told him what I needed to tell him. And what was really lovely for me was that I could say it with an open heart. I could wish him well. I could forgive him for whatever role he played in the larger consciousness system as an abusive male. Mm -hmm. Um, And I could do that without reservation. So it was very healing for me, even though this wasn't somebody in my family. It was somebody who I could see was tortured by the events of his life and that he did what he did because he had that as an example in his father and in his grandfather, Mm -hmm. that this was a generational pattern that he didn't have the consciousness to step outside of at the time, but he was developing the consciousness to acknowledge that it happened, that it was wrong and that he did not want to do this ever again. And you became surrogates for each other. We did. And what was interesting is uh, he went to bed at that point, passed out. And uh, the following morning, as they were packing up their camp, uh, I was in the motorhome and he couldn't see me, but I could see him uh, often kind of looking over with this really nervous look over at the camp. And I knew- Well, you're a very intimidating person. Yeah, I I know that. I can't all be. five feet of you. <laughs> I know, I know, but I have a lot of power. So look out. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, he was he was scared of my reaction in the cold light of day, and I could see that. So I I went out, and I could see he tensed up as soon as I I stepped out of the motorhome. His whole body tensed up, and I just walked straight over to him, and I wrapped my arms around him, and I gave him a hug, and he melted. And I told him quietly in his ear because I didn't know if the the young gentleman that was with him was involved or knew anything about this. But I told him I had faith in him and that he was a courageous man and that he could do this and it would transform the lives of the women in his family. And he hugged me back and they drove away and I don't know what ever happened, but it was... a a really important time for me in my own healing. And that was a gift that he gave me in being willing to say his shame. And at this point, what's coming to my mind is a tune that if we go back to that particular time, what you were doing for him and the energy, if you will, the wish that you put out to him reminds me of this, track and it's an oldie but a goodie by bill withers called lean on me and then we'll be back such a beautiful song mm-hmm. bill withers lean on me mm-hmm. i love that song I thought anyway. it was appropriate. Yeah. So so the last part of what I wanted to share today 
is uh, the part that I always seem to have a bit of backlash on. And it's unfortunate, but it's still something I feel strongly about, that if we are going to heal the generational abuse, because usually this doesn't happen in a vacuum, this is usually a pattern established a long time ago. If we're going to heal this, we need to heal both the abused and the abuser. We need to heal both sides of the equation. Because if, if I, as a woman in my family, am able to heal, that's great. And, and I can be grateful that I did not pass this on to my children. That I am very grateful for. Um, so in my particular line, this is where it ends. And this is something that I... Um, I'm very proud of, but there are other lines in my family where it has not stopped. And the only way that that's going to happen is if I can get through to those people in my family who are the abusers. Um, my father, probably not going to happen, but he's 90 now and he doesn't really have the energy to do much more damage in the world. Um, but there are many other people in my extended family who have experienced abuse and I want to reach out to them. And if I do that with accusation, if I approach people um, with any kind of judgment, then I have very little chance of helping them to heal. And scaring people into changing their behavior doesn't really work. You have to heal them. So we have to find it in our hearts to forgive them. And sometimes the person who actually experienced the abuse, the abuse itself it has a hard time getting there. But if there are people in your family that you know that have been abused and you know the situation, you can help both sides of that equation. If you reach out to the abuser, that's great. That's one thing. But it's got to it's got to go beyond that. And this is the problem that I have with this the Me Too campaign and you know, it's it's great that people are being held to account and that women have the courage to come forward. But um putting the Bill Cosby's of the world in jail um, only stops the Bill Cosby's of the world. There are a lot of other people out there who are afraid to speak. And they're afraid to speak partly because of the fear of retribution. Um, I personally don't really care if any of the people who abused me are punished for it because I know... They've already punished themselves. They've been punished. I, You know... Uh, I believe in past lives and I believe that there have been lifetimes where I have been on the other side of the equation and maybe part of what I came here to do this time was to experience it from that side so that I could forgive myself. It's, it's impossible to stand on a pedestal and say you're righteous and you've never done anything to hurt anyone else. 
It's all degrees. So um, I'm, I'm going to move forward from this point with the intention to heal the rest of my family to the best of my ability. I'm, you know, I'm only one person. I can only do so much. But one of the big things that has been a problem for me and what I'm dealing with right now is shame. It is, okay, to take it beyond my father, my grandmother, she had children by other men. She beat her children. One of the reasons why my father hated women is because my grandfather was not a nice woman. Grandmother. Or my grandmother was not a nice woman. My grandmother threatened my life when I was a young child. My great-grandmother actually murdered one of her husbands. It was a gun cleaning accident. (laughs) Remember that. Not a pretty family (laughs) history. And so I kept thinking to myself when I started to process this, I have this genetics. I have these women in my life who have been horrible. And I live with her. (laughs) And I... I carry some of that and I I have to heal it. I have to I have to process it so that I don't feel the shame of being genetically connected to these people. And I firmly believe though, you know, we're spiritual people. I think that you inherit that karma, if you will, and you process it. And in many ways, I think that it ripples back and you can heal the shame that you inherited. At least you don't own it. And you also had the courage to make a choice, to make a decision when it came time to raise your own children, where you said the abuse stops here. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge thing. You didn't continue it. But in other ways, it did continue, correct? When you adjusted, it impacted the way you parented. Mm -hmm. And you didn't do anything bad per se, but you also became more detached as you talked about. Yeah. But it's also that willingness to say, okay, I've looked at my life. I've, I've realized why I am the way I am. And I want to make a change. And I reach out to you, my children, and say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And I want to change our dynamic. I want to change the communication level. So, yeah. again, it's just coming down to a willingness to admit where you've been less than ideal as a human being. And that, that's what I, I think about when when we see this all this uh, tomfoolery that's going on in, in the media right now. If these people, if these men who were abusing or had abused women in the past, mm-hmm. if they simply would have just said, "Yes, I did that," and I am sorry, if they would have done this even privately and just said, "How can I make it up to you?" But instead, it's the old boys club and 
They yeah. just deny it. and the, It just perpetuates the Well, problem. and the wound festers, and you can see where the pain continues. Yeah. And if we were just simply willing to own our shift, the world would be a different place, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. And I will um, be working on it further. I do feel like there are there are aspects that I of shame that I've taken on from my father that I haven't entirely processed yet. Mm-hmm. And what motivated this discussion was last night, Anna woke up shaking. Yeah. Right? And so she knew when she tuned in that it was important for her to share what she did today. And I would like to commend you for having the courage to articulate. And I'm hoping that listeners, someone out there or some ones will appreciate what it is that you are willing to share. Thank you. You're welcome. So I think that pretty much brings us to the end of the show. I wanted to play uh, another Canadian artist to end out the show, Jan Arden. And so this album goes back a few years, but the name of the track is Time for Mercy. And I think that's an appropriate thing to play as we sign off. I agree. So when you're, when you are dealing with those people in your life who have been behaving less than ideal, try to reach out to them with a little compassion and understanding and hopefully you'll get some back. And if you're in relationship with someone who is wounded, be there, you know, be the shoulder, be the ear for them to unload on. The reason I can process this stuff is because I feel safe with Jeff at my side. That's the reality. Well, right back at you. You've been there for me too. And that's the way it works. So anyway, that's the end of our show. You've been listening to Shift Happens on Kootenai Co-op Radio. And my name is Jeff. And I'm Anna. We'll be back next week. And again, we're doing a two-hour repeat from now on every Sunday from 11 until 2 or 11 till 1. And of course, the show... Every Tuesday from 2 to 4. Exactly. So here comes Jan Arden, Time for Mercy. And we'll see you next week.